You know, we do live in a world of uncertainty. I was reading this week several columnists that were talking about the fact that we live in a world that maybe in our country is the most uncertain time in its recent history for sure. There's no doubt that the time that we live in is the most uncertain time in my lifetime and in the lifetime of most of us in this room. Now, I realize that we have some from the greatest generation that are still a part of this church and still a part of our family. But those numbers are decreasing and more and more of us are experiencing this uncertainty in a way that we never have. I saw a statistic this week that just kind of blew my mind. They asked the question, there's this group called Rasmussen Reports that do polling of all kinds across the nation. And they simply asked the question, are you or do you think the country is on the right track? Do you think the country is headed in the right direction? I don't know whether you saw that this week or not, but apparently... We hit a new high in the last six months this week. As of this week, the highest level of people are confident in the direction of this country than have been in the previous six months. That number is 35%. 35% think we're going in the right direction. 59% think America is headed the wrong way. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound too hopeful to me. And if 35% is the top, then I can't imagine where we were a few weeks ago. And it seems like uncertainty is all around us. There's social uncertainty. There's economic uncertainty. There's global developments that create uncertainty. And the question that we really have to ask as believers in Christ, as believers in And what God is doing is, is God still in control? You remember the song you used to sing as a kid? He's got the whole world in His hand. He's got the whole wide world in His hands. You know, when you were a kid, you used to sing that out. It was exciting. You you believed it. You knew it was true. It was just a, a good thing to sing about the whole world being in the hands of God. But as you grow older, you realize that there's much more uncertainty in this world. And as bills continue to come in, as illnesses are diagnosed, as marriages break up, things happen in your life and you wonder, does God still have the whole world in his hands. That's the basic question, isn't it? In these times of uncertainty, can we still trust God? Can we still believe in him? Can we still put our faith in who he is? Do we still have hope? Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at the events surrounding the death and resurrection of Christ. And today, In accordance with that, we're going to look at his last meal with his disciples, his dinner party, if you will, with his disciples at the end. But before we get there, I just want to set the stage that what was happening on those last few days were days of great uncertainty. Unbelievable uncertainty. Unparalleled uncertainty. 
one of the things I think is interesting is when you look at the Bible, the greatest stories in Scripture were written in days much more like ours now than they were five years ago. You see, as Americans, we get this idea that God's blessing means prosperity and moving forward and financial security. But if you look in the Scriptures, the people that God used the most were used in times of great uncertainty. The people that God used the most were people who went through unbelievable uncertainty. I mean, think for a minute about Joseph. Those of you that Grew up in church, you know the story of Joseph. Remember, he gets the beautiful coat, he tells his brothers about this dream he's had, all this is going on, and then he goes out and his brothers get a little upset, and I know that in families in this room there are probably some sibling rivalry issues. But Joseph finds himself at the bottom of the pit with his brothers debating whether they're going to sell him or kill him. Now, I don't know what your sibling rivalry issues are, but that's pretty severe, all right? And as he's sitting there at the bottom of this pit, and above him they're arguing, well, I think we just ought to sell him. We can make some money off of him. But if we sell him, it may come back. We need to kill him. We need to get rid of him. No, 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 no. We've got to make some money. And how are we going to explain this to Dad? We can Look, guys, we can have it both ways. We can tell Dad he's no longer alive, but we will still make some money off of it. And yet we're told that God was in the midst of that great time of uncertainty. You know, David's life was a life of uncertainty. It begins when he's chosen as the next king of Israel. It continues when he walks out to face a giant in Goliath that he slays with just a flick of a slingshot. It continues after that when the king gets a little upset with him and chases him down through the caves trying to kill him before he takes his rightful throne. It continues even after He's king with his relationship with Bathsheba and what happens with their son. But then towards the end of his life, he has this moment. He's had all this in the past, and he wakes up one morning and somebody comes to him with a report that, by the way, David, your son Absalom has gathered an army that is coming to storm the capital and take your throne. David lived his life in times of uncertainty. What about Moses? Remember how Moses' life started? Pharaoh got a little upset about the number of Israelites, and so he has them all killed. All the baby boys that are killed, and Moses' mother doesn't think that's acceptable, and so she puts him in a basket in the Nile, and you know, or in the river there. And most of us think of that as a nice, pretty little scene of a nice basket and a very gentle river, and she just places him in and lets him go. It's a very dangerous place. Moses is rescued. He lives his life in luxury for a while. But before God uses him, God humbles him. Takes him into the wilderness for 40 years. The Israelites, on the other hand, have been crying out for 400 years that God would send a deliverer. 400 years. Now you and I get upset if things don't turn around in four days. 400 years, time and time again, in complete slavery. I mean, think about how long that is. The Declaration of Independence was signed when? It's not a hard question, hopefully. 
1776, right? I was born on the 200th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence or the year in 1976. So by my calculations, we've been a country for 233 years almost, right? Double that. That's how long the Israelites had lived in uncertainty. We're in a country now that has lived in economic uncertainty for about a year. And we don't know if we can handle it anymore. 400 years, and then they're sitting there one night, and Moses walks into town and goes, Everybody pack your stuff, we're leaving tomorrow. It's a time of uncertainty. And you wonder, what do we do in those moments? I want you to say a verse with me that we're going to memorize over the next three weeks. Some of you haven't memorized Scripture in a long time. So it's Bible drill days, but we're going to memorize this, all right? I saw online where some people are memorizing the entire passion story. We're not doing that. We're going to do one verse. We're going to start small, okay? Say it with me. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Now, you read that with your good church voices, okay? I want you to read it and say it like you mean it. Because what this psalmist is saying, Lord, I have uncertainty all around. I have question marks in my mind. But what I know is, as I put my trust in you, you are dependable to take care of me. So say it with me. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Mark that down. Write that verse down. Psalm 33:22. And over the next three weeks, we're going to repeatedly talk about the fact that we're putting our love, our trust, our hope in the Lord. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 26. And what we're going to see here is a description of the last few hours in the life of Jesus. Now, just to be perfectly honest, for the apostles, for the disciples, for the twelve that have been with Jesus, the last three and a half years have been in a pretty amazing ride. It had been an unbelievable three and a half years. They had seen the Lord do miracle after miracle after miracle. They had heard Him teach like they had never heard anybody teach before. They saw the crowds grow from a couple to twelve to thirty to fifty to a few hundred to a few thousand. There was nobody in the entire country who was more popular than this guy that they were following. And on the Sunday that they walked into the Passover celebration, people were praising and singing and shouting and laying down their palm branches saying, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Son of David. But somewhere in the middle of the week, the tide started to turn. He turns over the tables. He gets a little upset at what's happening in the temple. Suddenly the crowds are talking about, what's this guy doing? Is he, you know, is he another one of these guys that got our hopes way up and is only going to dash them? And as they come to this time of the week, it gets to be the time to celebrate the Passover meal. And Jesus looks at his twelve and says, it's time we celebrate 
together. So without them understanding really he tells them to go in and find this place and to go here and they'll find what they need to find and go to this room and when they get there everything will be ready they just get things together and we'll all celebrate together and so they do and you come for the 12 to one of the most uncertain times they will ever face chapter 26 starting in verse 17 says on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread the disciples came to jesus and asked Where do you want us to go make preparations to go eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him. The teacher says, My appointment time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. Now, I don't know why they don't tell us who the man is. I don't know if the disciples knew who the man was. But it just seems that Jesus says, Go find this guy and tell him the appointed time is near. It's time to celebrate the Passover. Now, just to be real honest... The disciples here, appointed time, they get excited. The disciples here, appointed time, they immediately think it's time for him to take his rightful place as the king of our country. And when he does, there are going to be 12 of us that are in line to be high cabinet positions. You know, we've just gone through a a change in our government. One of the things that I love about this country is regardless of of how the vote comes out or who likes it or doesn't like it, that there's always a seamless transition in power from one person to the next. But what I found interesting is, and it happens every time there's a president that's that's newly elected, is that there are certain people that help that president get to the place where they can be elected. And when they get to that place of being elected, the president returns the favor by giving them positions within the government, right? It happens, Republican, Democrat, if the Reform Party or the Green Party or any of those parties ever broke through, the Whigs ever came back and had a party, that's what they would do. You bring people with you. And what they thought is, the appointed time is about to come. And so they think, great, we're going to do the Passover, we're going to have this meal, this is kind of the last celebration before we come into power. Verse 19, so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Suddenly the mood in the room changes. Before this time, it had probably been a pretty festive mood. It was the Passover. It was a celebration of the time when, in their uncertainty, God had provided hope and assurance and deliverance for the Israelites. And they come to this place, and they're celebrating. And Jesus, just out of the blue, says, By the way, guys, let me tell you something. One of you in this room is going to betray me. Verse 22. They were very sad and began to say to him, One after the other, Surely not I, Lord. One after another. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, 
Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had hung his hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. In this short little depiction of the Lord's Supper, we have a description of what it means to trust the Lord in times of great uncertainty. You see, the disciples got two things that happened in this particular place, and they're two things that ought to happen to us anytime we come to the Lord's table. And the truth is we can't put our hope in Him, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but before we get there, what we need to understand is anytime we come to the table of the Lord, anytime we come to a worship service of the Lord, there ought to be two things that happen. And first of all, it ought to strengthen our hearts. But at the same time, it ought to search our hearts. What we're doing here today, what we do here on Sunday morning, is not just to come and sing songs that you like or don't like. It's not to be a time when your personal preferences get played out on this platform. It is to be a time when we encounter the living Lord, and in that encounter, we are strengthened by His presence, but we are searched, we are challenged, we are convicted in our hearts. You see, the truth is that our world has a lot of people that are putting their hope in a lot of stuff that's going to fail. I know we're the most successful country in the history of the world, but there comes a time when bailouts will have to stop. I know we're the most successful country in the history of the world, but our leadership, our government, is not the Savior that we need. I know that we are the most prosperous nation in the history of the world, but our prosperity will not solve the problems in our souls. And what we have to understand is, hope that is in a false hope is no hope at all. And let me just be real honest with you. There are some of you that come into this place Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, You are not living your life as the Lord has called you to live. And perhaps you have never given your heart to the Lord in a relationship with Him. And as a result, even though you're here, you're putting your hope in the wrong things. Because hope placed on anything but the Lord Jesus is a false hope. God's dinner party, God's celebration, the Lord's supper is something that should strengthen and yet search our hearts. It's a double-edged sword. It's a two-part solution. You know, I'd be interested if we could have dropped back and interviewed some of the apostles in the time when the book of Acts is being written and these great things are happening. Maybe a hundred days after Jesus had ascended back to the Father, we could have a one-on-one interview with the apostles. And I'd be interested to ask them some questions like, what's the most difficult time you ever spent with the Lord? You know, I have no doubt that as you talk to the disciples, as you talk to the apostles, one of the things they would have said is, the most difficult time for us started in the upper room on that night we celebrated the Passover when we realized everything wasn't going to be all right. 
when we realized that we weren't about to become kings and we weren't about to rule this country, when we realized that Jesus was talking about death a whole lot more than he was talking about life, when we realized that we were facing some really dangerous things ahead, and the next 24 hours would forever change our lives. Same time, I think if you ask them, what was the most exhilarating or exciting or most encouraging part of your ministry with Jesus? I think the apostles would look at you and they would say, well, we didn't see it then, but the most encouraging time that we spent with Jesus started on that Thursday night in the upper room when we realized we weren't going to be earthly kings, but that He had a better plan for us. God's time as we celebrate the Lord's Supper should strengthen, but it should also search our hearts. Two things I want you to see real quickly. First of all, that this dinner party is going to feed our deepest hunger. It's going to feed our deepest hunger. You know, there are two elements that are mentioned here in the Scripture. There's the unleavened bread and there's the the wine, the cup. What we understand about the unleavened bread is that, first of all, unleavened bread signified to the Israelites, signified to these people, that there is a holiness that is there. I mean, the reality is the reason there is so much uncertainty in our world is because we live in a tragically broken society. Because we have a society built on tragically broken people. And we all can understand the depths of evil in the hearts of men and women across this world. And what the Last Supper shows is that there has been one, and only one, who has ever lived a perfect Life, sin free. It feeds our deepest hunger because we realize that deep down, the thing that we need most in life is not more stuff and it's not even better human relationships. The deepest need that we all have is to be forgiven of the sin that infiltrates our hearts. And so what Jesus says is that there is, first of all, my body which is broken for you, it is a pure body. It is a holy body. It is a perfect body. But then he also has the cup, which was the shedding of the blood. And it reminds us that the sin problem we have is very, very serious. Very serious. So much so that Jesus had to shed his blood for us. And what happens is we understand that Jesus has come not just to give us better ways to live. He didn't come to write a self-help book. He didn't come to give us 14 points of how we can have a better life. Jesus has come simply to save our souls. It feeds our deepest hunger. Here's the second thing. Not only does it feed our deepest hunger, it exposes our hearts. You know what I think is interesting about this is in Matthew's version of this, we already know that Judas has agreed to betray Jesus. Look up at verse 14. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. Now, 
we can talk about that at some time. The basic thing is it wasn't much. From then on, Jesus, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them. Let me tell you what happens here with Judas. Is he can't handle the uncertainty any longer. And so he takes what he doesn't know for a small portion of what he does. Now, like I said, 30 pieces of silver was, I mean, it wasn't just little change, but it wasn't very much money. And what he's talking about doing here is handing over his teacher, master, the one he thought to be the Messiah, he's handing him over to the authorities in order for them to kill him. And what he's saying is, listen, I don't know if I can trust him, but I know that I can have 30 pieces of silver in my hand. What's the old saying? A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Let me tell you, the biggest danger that comes in life is when you face moments of uncertainty is to take the bird in the hand and take your way, take away trusting in the Lord. And so Judas has already agreed to this. In the book of John, it tells us that the devil, that Satan, that the enemy is the one that put it into his mind. And he agreed to it. And so he comes to the table. And you can imagine the thought in Judas's mind as he's sitting there eating. He knows what he's agreed to do. He's plotting. He's thinking. He's looking for opportunity. And as he's sitting there dipping the bread into the cup, he hears Jesus say, one of you is going to betray me. And he goes, uh-oh. But with as straight of a face as he can, he says, Jesus, it's, it's not me. Here's the problem. He was sitting among the greatest lie detector in the history of the world. It tells us time and time again that Jesus could hear what they were thinking or knew what was on their hearts. And he knew what was happening with Judas. And he says, yes, it is you. In just a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. It's some unleavened bread and some juice. And the thing is that there are some of you in this room that even as I've spoken about this, even after what I'm about to say, will take this and not give a moment's thought to what's happening in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own soul. You won't think about it. But what we are about to do gives us the divine opportunity to evaluate who we are and let the Lord expose our hearts. When I was a child, I remember I was about 11 or 12 years old. I was at church on a Sunday night, and I can't remember why we were doing the Lord's Supper on a Sunday night, but we were. And they were passing out the elements. This is one of the first times that I'd ever sat by myself. My parents were engaged in a class. They weren't there. I sat by myself with some of my friends and his family. And we were sitting there and the elements were passed to us. And I just grabbed the, the, the bread and took it, as you will do in a moment. And I took the cup and I took it and passed it on. And as I took that cup and I lifted it up, I realized there was nothing in the cup. Now, we have a very fine group of people that puts the Lord's Supper stuff together. But you can imagine filling 400 cups every once in a while you might miss a cup. So I remember sitting there looking at the cup and thinking, what am I going to do with the empty cup? So you know what I did? I put my hands as tightly around it as I could where nobody could see that it was empty. 
And when the pastor got up there and said, take drink, this is my blood spilled for you, what do you think I did? I put it up to my mouth and acted like I was drinking it. I didn't feel guilty about it at all. This week, for some reason, the Lord brought that experience back. I hadn't thought about it in years. And He's just said to me, He said, Lyle, the truth is, whenever you come to the time at the Lord's Supper, when you take it without thinking about the true nature of who you are and what the Lord is calling you to do and how faithful you are to being that, it's as if you're drinking out of an empty cup. And let me just tell you this morning, if you don't take the time in just a moment, during this time of invitation and singing, during this time of expressing to the Lord what's on your heart, if you don't take the time to truly think about what the Lord is doing, then when it comes time to eat the bread and drink the cup, you will be doing an empty, ritualistic exercise. And you will be missing out on the opportunity to partake in the hope of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite things about the Lord's Supper is that it reminds us of that Old Testament story of the Passover. And it reminds us that there were those people that cried out for 400 years. 400 years years for a deliverer and day after day after day after day in their normal daily life it seemed like nothing was going to change nothing was going to happen nothing was going to be different and all of a sudden right at the moment when they least expected it moses comes and says pack your stuff we're going by the way just so the lord makes sure that you're with him i want you to kill the lamb put the blood on the doorpost and make unleavened bread because we don't have time for that bread to rise, we're leaving quickly. And when Jesus tells us at the end of this Matthew's version is that the next time he partakes of this supper, the next time he partakes of this supper will be when he's made sure that all the uncertainty is gone. When every bit of uncertainty in this world is gone and what we have is that we have been taken to be with him, our Hopes have been renewed. And while we have now been living for almost 2,000 years since Christ celebrated this Passover meal, it is but a moment in the scope of eternity. And quickly, very quickly, soon and very soon, someday in the near future when we least expect it, the Lord Jesus is going to cry out and all of the uncertainty will be gone. And on that day, the only question that matters is have you put your hope in Him? Have you put your hope in Him? You see, the truth is, no matter how much catastrophe there seems to be, no matter how many stock market crashes there are, no matter how many uncertainties there are in life, the truth is he's still got the whole world in his hands. And this morning the question is, are you willing to put your trust in him?